0: So tonight we're continuing our series and living as a cultural minority. And tonight I thanked Pastor for giving me the joy of, uh, it's, a, it's a topic that we need to talk about, but as he and I were going back, I was like, well, thank you for letting me as the assistant pastor handle this one. Um, but I think it's important, and I know there, there are kids in here and things that way, but I know I believe that we can do this and have this kind of a discussion, I know Pastor does or else he wouldn't put it in here, in a way that honors and glorifies God. And I've even already told my girls that if they have any questions about what we talk about, ask me on the way home and I'll be more than happy to educate them biblically on, on uh, at their la- age, age appropriateness, uh, what we've talked about tonight. Um, but it's important because the world we live in, uh, it's, a, it's a sexually charged world that we're in. Um, there is, you can't go anywhere without seeing something in in this shape or form. And as as Christians, really the, the direction I'm going with this, I think we all know that sexual immorality is wrong and the Bible teaches it. I don't need to take us to a ton of passages of scripture that tell us that it's wrong. Uh, but what I want to have is a little bit, I want to have some discussion tonight and I have some questions um, and even pastor and I sat down and we Kind of brainstormed together a little bit on this, and I got his a little bit of his direction where he wanted this to go. Um, But really, as as I've been as I was studying this week and and thinking through this, there's a passage of scripture. Go and turn to Philippians chapter four. I think all of you know now what verse I'm going to be looking at. Primary, these two verses really, as Pastor and I were even talking, when it comes to evaluating life, evaluating. the idea of sexual immorality and, and, and things of that nature. This, this passage of Scripture is really a passage that I have a... When I was a youth pastor, I had a series of uh, sermons that I did on... Uh, not ethics, but just a, a, a series of things that um, about making ethical choices, make good, making good decisions, uh, and uh, even just along the lines of what's going on in the world, uh, making good decisions within media... Uh, your entertainment choices. And this verse I used, and I, I really referred to this, these verses as really a sieve, that you take aspects of your life and, and you pour it into the sieve, of Philippians 4, 8, and 9, specifically 4, 8, and when whatever comes out, you hang on to and you live that out, and the impurities that hold at the top of that sieve you get rid of, and you don't have anything to do with it. And so really, I just want to read the verses, and we'll jump back to these verses specifically at the end uh, and just kind of give a summarizing couple points about these verses. Um, But I just want to read the two verses. It says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise... Dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So when we come to this, this topic, uh, we need to define, first of all, the term purity, okay? And not define it in the sense that we need to, um, probably all of us here in this room have a general, general definition of purity. We understand what it means. But in light of what we're talking about with living in a, a world that, it, as cultural minorities, it's good to have a baseline of what we're talking about in the world. And so the first question I have for us uh, this evening is Does our culture have a definition of purity? And if so, how do they define it? And by the way, pastor told me to say say this, that if we don't come to a conclusion on some of this stuff, it's okay. He just wants us to think. So those are his words, not mine. I'll be honest, I Googled it. I couldn't find anything. (laughs) On this, on this. Now, if you say, you know, you could look at it from a different perspective, but they wouldn't actually be defining purity. They'd be defining uh, loyalty maybe, you know, in in the case of monogamy. Um, But when it comes to, because if you look at the general definition of purity, there is a genuine definition of sexual purity in the dictionary. But does our culture actually have, because we know there's a lot of definitions in, our dictionaries that culture does not define well <laughs> or yes Brian I don't think, I yeah. think that our
1: culture
2: does all
0: the I would agree
3: old and it's antique but it's not for today.
0: Okay. Tyler?
3: I think if it is defined, it's defined very subjectively. Just like you hear people say, well, your truth is not my truth. Mm -hmm. That's not true. There you go.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes, Andy?
3: I think there's an
4: aspect where part of the culture probably would have a definition of purity. They just wouldn't hold to it themselves. Right. Right. If you would ask someone, like, well, what is purity, they might be able to give a definition of, you know, keeping themselves clean and things like that, but they'll reject that as a concept. Yeah, they right. know what we mean when we say it, because they think
0: we're right. ridiculous. <laughs> right. And we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty of how we are interacting with our culture here in a few moments. So then, as, in light of that, unless there's something else that anybody else wants to say on, on, on this question... Again, just wanting to set a basic parameter on this. How does the Bible define purity? Again, putting the two side by side. Obviously, the one doesn't have one. How does the Bible define it?
3: You quoted the verse this morning. Uh, no, I'm just listening to somebody else who said, uh, Be holy as God is holy. Okay. And that, was, that was Carl that said it after the, the message.
0: 1 Peter 1, and also Leviticus.
3: No man knows
4: the
0: day or hour? Oh, wait, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> if you were to look in a basic Bible dictionary where they extrapolate it for you, I, they would just simply define it as to commit to refrain from an, and sexual activity outside of marriage. It would be a, a basic definition that some Bible dictionaries give. Um, what are some passages of Scripture that help us define purity? First Peter was mentioned. What's another one?
3: This one right
0: here, Philippians 4.8. Okay, Philippians 4.8.
5: 1 Thessalonians
0: 4. 1 yep, Thessalonians 4. Uh, if you look at 1 uh, First, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse uh, 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification... That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So we know that sanctification or sanctify comes from the word holiness. And so to live holy would to be what? To live separate from sexual immorality have nothing to do with it. Colossians 3.5 says to mortify the deeds of your body. And it goes through a list. I'm blanking on, memori- on my memorization of the verse at the moment. But it goes through a list of sexual sins, which actually is interesting that it ends with idolatry. Uh, but that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But it comes to the idea of what? We are to mortify the deeds of the So part of purity is literally mortifying, killing the idea of sexual immorality in our life. First um, Thessalonians, but 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 19. Uh, Paul starts in verse 12, "...all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immortality for immorality not immortality yet the body is not for immorality but for the Lord so part of purity is that we physically use our bodies for ways that please the Lord that are in and, and he goes on and he explains more of that later in this, in these verses uh, jump down if you're following along in 1 Corinthians 6 jump down to uh, this is all in the context of, of Uh, sexual uh, sexual morality immorality. Says do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. So part of purity is having again nothing to do with immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral sin, the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So part of it is a phys- there's a physical aspect of purity, not just a mental aspect. There's a physical aspect to having to being pure. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slander. So clearly, purity also is coming from the heart. It has impact from the heart. So, if we were to try to, if someone were to come up to you and say, what does the, how does the Bible define purity? If, you're, if someone was challenging you that, and as we are cultural minorities, how would you answer an individual that is coming to you genuinely um, and asking you about biblical purity. Or have we actually hit on all of it? It's interesting, you know, when I... One thing with this question, these questions came up to my mind. So yeah, last night, um, before I really... I, I got caught up on uh, YouTube, you know, looking at, a, listening to a debate uh, between a, a Christian apologetic... Apologetist And uh, an individual who took, and this isn't where we're going with the thing, but it was really, it has to do with sexual immorality, but the idea of homosexuality and there, it was a three-hour-long debate, and I was listening to it, and I was thinking of tonight, and it's interesting, and just thinking overall about how we define terms. And how, and, and you can go on YouTube and find some of these guys aren't Christians, but they're giving Christian defenses, uh, Christian explanations to some of it. You know, you got guys doing, going to these universities and doing all these questions, right? Asking all, letting these people ask them genuine questions all the time. Well, we may, we'll probably never be on that platform, but as Christians, as cultural minorities, how are you going to defend Scripture? How are you going to defend biblical purity if someone comes up to you on the street and asks you about this? Why can't I just live with my partner?
3: Mm-hmm. Try to explain to a non-believer, you know, I'm you're not, you know, go that route, but that's uh, what you say here. So, yeah, that's... Uh, they have, you have, to, you have to work with the idea that they don't necessarily believe what the Bible is going to say about what, we're, what, the, what the subject will be.
0: And if you didn't hear Mike, he really he mentioned that we need to come to a common ground. They may not necessarily agree that the Bible is God's word, but they may be able to come to a point where they agree that that is what the Bible says, which gives you some level of footing with them. Um, I want to give you a case study as we jump into the two main questions that Pastor uh, and I talked through and, and things that way. But this is a real-life situation uh, that— uh, I just won't be using any names, um, but this is a real actual life situation where a single Christian girl uh, ends up having a baby. She's not married. Ends up having a baby. Actually didn't even realize she was pregnant until, obviously, the baby came. How that comes about, I'm not sure. Uh, But she uh, didn't realize it has the baby. And then now she's... Getting advice to move in, you know the questions come now. What is the thing? What do you do now? So here's here's this. So here's here's the here's a question along with that case study that you can think through. Is that as we think of this kind of a situation, how does the church handle a situation like this? I'll just actually go with the case study first. How does how do how would we as a church if that a situation like that came up in our church how would we handle that How should we handle that I should say Yeah Beth
1: you know and where does it possible death of a spouse and you know when a young woman has that she's got a lot of things on her plate and she certainly doesn't need the criticism she certainly needs
4: support it.
0: okay
5: So don't don't pile on, you know, moving in with with whoever um, on top of whatever led to the baby in the first
2: place.
4: Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah, Beth.
0: Is
4: our support going to be conditional?
0: Is it? I would say to a degree. I would agree that we should not praise the act of the pregnancy. No, and so, well, there's a, there, there's, a, there's a fine line. You cannot let her think at all that what took place is okay. Yeah, I'm not. And so, well, and with the thing that I've noticed is a lot of times in churches, you get on and you see Christians, what, doing this on Facebook? A young lady gets pregnant, and where are they? They're all over Facebook praising her. Oh, congratulations. and No, it's not congratulations. Now, do we celebrate the life that God providentially allowed through sin to come into the world? You betcha. But she needs to understand that her actions were sinful and against God. And and there are ongoing consequences. It's not like, how many of us have sinned and had ongoing consequences? (laughs) There are ongoing consequences to that. Now, I'm not saying that we if there's genuine forgiveness and repentance, you don't bring her up in front of the church and put a scarlet letter A on her, okay? Um, you know, when there's unrepentance, it's a whole, it morphs into a little bit of a different story, right? But as Tim was saying, you don't compound one sin with another sin. And that's what a lot of times people in the church give advice. Well, do the right thing and marry them. Is that really the right thing? They get into a bad marriage, you know. So, what? Well, good to Dale. The problem
2: is that our culture is largely done away with the concept of shame, mm-hmm. and so I think in a, in a Christian setting, in a Christian community, um, as you're helping your brothers and sisters Christians to grow everyone eventually will come to a point where they will understand that it's valuable to have a sense of shame over personal sin. Once they, shall we say, accept that premise as a, as a fact of life, as a fact that, you know, I ought to be ashamed of my sins. God is hoping, you know, all, the, all the implications that flow from that. And, uh, Our culture is obviously totally opposed to that notion. But uh, as long as that, shall we say, condition is met, then yes, support is the the proper thing. But if the person kind of like, no one wants to admit their sin, (laughs) to own it, to to publicize it, to relive it and all its potential negative consequences, i.e., bearing the shame, And so, um, I'm not sure where I'm going with that, but um, there there is some aspect, I think, as you said, conditionality, that where is the person, where is that person at in their walk? And what can we best do to kind of help each person, wherever they're at in their walk, go one step further?
0: Yeah, go ahead, Andy. I think there's an
4: important point to make that a person who's going through this has two needs, right? Do you have the potential concern of the spiritual need where something has happened that is now publicly revealed, which as a Christian, if the person is in the church as a Christian, should come with a level of shame um, because that's the nature of sin. No one who's a Christian should be proud of sin. I think as a, a... as Americans, we've kind of gotten to the level of hiding our sin, keeping it into ourselves, and doing away with the concept of asking forgiveness and confessing our sins going to another. And so in this specific situation that's a public reveal, the church sometimes has a tendency to dump shame on that person. Or if that person is immediately repentant over what they've done, maybe they had confessed about that nine months ago. Right? right? We don't know. And if that person has confessed at that time, the church should fully rally around for support. Right? right. Yeah. The, the second aspect is even if the person is completely unrepentant and goes through the entire process of church disciplinary, right, we're supposed to treat them as an unbeliever. Right. An unbeliever who is a single mother with a child still needs support physically for what's going on. Okay?
1: That's right. Amen. Mm-hmm.
4: We, are not, we shouldn't banish them or shun them or go through what historically has happened. And I think that's an important distinction and point to make out, too. Because the point of treating them as an unbeliever is that they're acting in a way by being unrepentant that shows that they need a savior. Right. And it I think it doesn't it's, affect their physical needs for the baby.
0: And putting the two together really should be ongoing. Whether they're, whether they're the whole church discipline process, and they are retreating them as unbelievers, or they're repentant, that spiritual and that physical should consistently be because if they're, if they're unrepentant, I'm going to continue to share with them the, go- the truth of the gospel, right? You're going to continue to share them with that. Boom, boom, boom. Beating them well, not literally, but in a sense, just hammering them, letting them know. Here's here's what this is. This is what this has done. This is what your sin has done in, in, in front of God. Okay, and you walk them through that, um, and and things that way. Um, so it's it's not an easy situation, and and I know of the situation that I'm using this case study based on. And it's, and there's more complexities to it. I I dumbed the case the situation down a little bit, but it's 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 hard. And and the pastor shared with me what he's having to go through. And it's not easy uh, because there are those in a church that want to immediately go through the whole pr- process of church discipline. There's those who want to go and just accept it all and kind of just, okay, hey, we're going to be unconditionally supportive without really calling out the sin as sin. Um, and so uh, clearly, obviously, once the baby's born, it's completely public. Yes, Nate?
3: It's a different kind of a, uh, that's a, a situation. Yeah. And it's definitely so like counseling. Defined by purity. By what? The definition of purity. Purity. Uh, it, again, that's a
0: whole different kind of conversation that we'd have to have at a different time. So here's the, here's the first question: Where are we losing the line of purity? I.e., how is it creeping into the church? It's Trojan of
5: in with compassion. Okay. Right. Um, we are to show love. We are to show compassion. We are to support. We are to meet where we can. All that is true. We don't have to do that instead of confronting sin. But we frequently do. And that starts blurring lines. Mm -hmm. You can do both. Right. But we think we can't.
0: How else are we possibly losing the line of purity here? Donna? I think both of the, putting those two together, I, I, I do believe that in our society, the churches, unfor- and even I would even boil this down to the parents, have outsourced the teaching of sexual purity to our society. Um, in in uh, studying for this and preparing for this, I was just I listened to a couple Christian marriage podcasts and they would talk about this idea of purity and things of that nature. And it was amazing how many of them came across this idea that, and, and talked about this idea that, that the education of sexual purity has been outsourced and really our, it's not just the church that doesn't talk about it. Our parents don't talk about it. Our parents are afraid to talk about it. And, and you're going to lose the line of purity because they are going to learn it. Younger than they ever have today, unfortunately. I mean, there's a few people in our church that work in the public school system. I I can only imagine what Jerry hears walking up and down the hallways after all these years of cleaning. And you work in elementary school, don't you? You Can you imagine the conversations in high school? Um, And I don't know what Taylor hears at school. Hopefully Nothing. But, we have these, oh, I know, it is. As well,
4: and I think part of that is because at home, they're allowed to watch whatever they want to watch with the parents thinking it's a PG-rated thing, and it's which, saying everything's okay.
0: Which actually moves to another point, right? How are we losing the line? What are we watching at home? How much what is again it goes back to how are we defining biblical purity? How much are we allowing yeah Andy? I
4: I not, not to take away from the concept yeah. that we're, we're talking about I hundred percent agree with it. But I think a lot of that conversation sometimes comes along of all right, it's for purity for those people. <laughs> I think when you look at Christians around America, how many marriages are ending in divorce? Mm-hmm. How many times have people had adulterous affairs yep. that are adults married in the church? Right. How many have, how many times have we heard about that? And yet we talk about purity for kids, right. which is true, right? Right, we, right, we right, right. Don't take that away. But a lot of times we think purity is for that, and because we're married, because we're adults, oh, I, I can hide what I do better.
0: I agree with you. And actually, the kid part actually goes to the second question. It's, and I'll just read it. How do we hold the line? We hold the line by teaching our kids is part of it, right? If you're looking future-wise, right? I'm just saying down the road. I'm not saying that's the only way. But that is a way we hold the line. If we as parents are doing a good job. Yeah, Tim? Parents aren't going teach their kids
5: unless they're taught something too. Right. So we've we got to teach, to Andy's point, it has to be something that the church at all levels, because who's supposed to teach the younger people? The older people. Mm-hmm. Then who teaches the kids? Usually the younger people, they're the ones with kids. Right. Right? So it's 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 almost ironic that in the in the urge to be innocent on the topic, we never talk about it, which makes it impossible for us to stay innocent on the topic. Because the world will talk about it and we won't.
0: And the average, I think right now, the divorce rate amongst the church is right around 49%. I didn't get it exact. I was going to look it up before tonight, but it's right around 49%. In the marriage podcast that I've listened to, um, they talk a lot about how the sexual positive world, as the, as the secular our culture calls it, sex positive culture, they literally want to push that you can do what you want when you want where you want and it doesn't matter yeah, with who you want too it's
3: opening the pandora's box that is uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the lord closes that pandora's box <coughs>
0: Uh, one, one that, that what hasn't been mentioned uh, the idea of dating an unbeliever it's pretty common in the church they don't Christian young people today don't think it's that big of a deal I'll get them saved or they don't even think that to be honest they think it's a cool person they're attracted to him. They're nice. They're quote unquote moral. Um, any other ideas on how it's creeping into the church? If not, that's okay. I know everyone wants pizza tonight, so yes, Donna.
1: Ephesians four. Mike had mentioned Ephesians five. So in Ephesians four, seventeen through twenty-four. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Mm
0: -hmm. It's a great passage of Scripture of what we are to be in Christ. So I want to go to the next, the last question here. How do we hold the line of purity and living spiritually? Because we live in a world that says all this stuff is okay.
3: Okay. Realize that when Jesus said all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth and he passed that authority on us that we do have authority. We do have power over sin. We have to live whatever age we are we need to live lives that are exemplary that others will see Christ in us. And realize that parenting or friendships is basically our, our goal is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So uh, that's, that's critical.
0: Making disciples is an easy way to hold the line. I shouldn't say easy. Paul wrote that letter
3: but. to people that were living under Nero. So you know <laughs> what that was like. It wasn't yes. exactly a Sunday school picnic. <clears throat>
2: that was without the internet.
3: There's a song written by Mike and Ruth Green called,
4: the kids know it, Obedience. Right? Obedience. And the second verse says, we want to live pure, we want to live clean, we want to do our best. Right? That's that's the goal that we should be teaching ourselves, focusing on ourselves and teaching our kids to be obedient.
1: And it does start in home. It really does. Yes, Tim. So
5: thing. Realistically, these sins aren't special on the list of sins, right? right? Do you go to hell more for a sexual sin than for lying or for stealing? No. So realistically, the answer to this is the same as all the other sins that we may or may not be teaching people to avoid. Mm -hmm. So make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. Right, teach them to love the Lord, to know His commandments, to learn that obeying His commandments is loving Him, uh, to to learn all those commands and to willingly submit to them, and recognizing that and trusting that living according to those commandments will actually bring you greater joy than dis- disobeying them. That's right. Realistically, that tapestry is what all of this discussion has to be laid up against, or it's pointless. That's
0: right. And I think that goes back to really the first couple questions, right? We looked at what? The biblical view or God's view of purity and the world's view. And we as believers have got to be living God's view of purity. Because as, as we live it out, those around us, whether through discipleship or as, as Tim was talking about, it's going, people will see, the reason I wanted, part of the reason why I wanted to be a pastor it was because I saw the joy that my dad and my grandfather had in being a pastor. Now, am I equating that with sexual sin? Period. No, but what I'm saying, is, is, to Tim's point, why did I love being? Why did I want to go into ministry? Why did I want to preach? Because I saw people loving doing it. We struggle to make Christianity, biblical Christianity, spiritual living, spirit living, attractive. And I'm not saying that we're trying to make a, a marketing sales pitch. But can people see that we are... The world does... is There are many in the world who when they see your righteous living are attracted to it. The reason I say that... It, I, there's both...
1: But it's, it's funny, because with my last name, I'm able to use it as,
0: as, <laughs> I don't search my name very much, but I, I've gone and bought my wife something and they'll see my last name and I'll make a joke about it, in essence. Say, yep, my wife really loves my, our last name, or like she, and they'll, and they've said to me, wow, I wish we could find a man like you. Now, they don't understand and, and see everything, but they see a difference in the way I'm living. Um, when I was at Lifetime, I saw it over time. They, people would stop talking about certain things when I was in the area. Um, th- there's those who actually have come and say, wow, we want, they're, they're hesitant for it. I think there's a little both. I'm not saying there's, that people reject it as a whole. The culture rejects it. But there are individuals that when you are living a real life, a holy life, there are those around you that are consistently around you that are going to see a difference and are going to be attracted to it because it's the Spirit of God drawing them through you.
3: And it's interesting that
0: even the world, there are those in the world that still, when you hear, they hear that you've been married, like I'll, I've told someone that they ask me, well, how long have you been married to your wife or, or been with your, your partner, with your wife? I'm like, 15 years, almost 15, it'll be 13, 14 years now. Like, wow, that long? Like, that long? My parents have been married a lot longer than that. But when they hear that, what? They're amazed. And they're actually, it's a positive for them.
1: It has nothing to do with probably holding
0: the line to a degree. But I do think the biggest thing is the teaching in, 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 on a one-on-one level and on, on a corporate level. Um, we have we have given over the teaching of this area, and I would even probably lump in other sins, though the message, the topic tonight isn't that. It is sexual immorality, and we live in a world that seems that just wants to push it down our throats. And 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 so we need to make sure that we are staying pure, so that we can help others stay pure. And again, going back to Philippians four eight, everything we do needs to go through that sieve. Everything we do needs to go through that sieve of Scripture. Any final comments, questions?
1: Yes, please. Um, I I talk to people almost every single day about those working at the pregnancy center, and nearly without exception, the one thing people say when we try to point them to the word, is, well, I know Christians, too. And then they go on with stories, things that I've seen within the church. Um, And so I think, just to underscore the idea that the importance of the church living in purity, and that really starts, you know, sometimes we focus on, The physical acts of sexual immorality, but really it starts in the thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we're not having our minds renewed by scripture, then of course that's going to be a losing battle. To that
0: point, Paul at the end of 4, 8 and 9 says what? To think on these things. And so it does start with our minds. And uh, this has been a good discussion tonight. I was actually nervous, I'll be honest, with all of you. I was nervous coming up here. and Not because, it's weird, even as a pastor, it's like, I know this needs to be talked about, but yet because we are so preconditioned. You know, I, With this, I'll close, just a silly illustration. My, when I, I was able to do three weddings in Illinois, so I did three premarital counseling. And Liz is like, so when, when it comes to sex, what do you do? And, I'm, and she won't use the word sex with me. And uh, I'm like, I just talk about it? She's like, why? I'm like, because it's in the Bible. She, or she's like, how? She's like, because it's in the Bible. I can talk about it, honey. And uh, she just, we get, it's just a funny back and forth that we'd have. But it's, it goes to a preconditioned idea that we have let our world hijack what God created. And we're afraid to talk about it in public. Now, there's decorum and there's appropriateness on how we do that. But we shouldn't be afraid to talk about what God has done. And how God's what God's created. And so. Uh Dale, on that note.